to destroy me is I was so homesick from my home. I miss my wife so much and my kids so much. It would destroy me inside. And I, I, man, I would, it would torment me to the fact I couldn't get over it for like the first five, six days into the assignment. And then I'd finally snap out of it. But that one verse, if my home is where my heart is, then I'm not aligned with you. And then it says down at the bottom, but now I've been more homesick than ever. Please help me. You know, it's like one night it was in uh, Colorado. I was on uh, Colorado Springs and I went to a fire called the Waldo Creek Fire and I was out there and I was in just struggling when I got off the plane. I didn't want to go, but I knew I had to go because that's how I made money. And, uh, you know, I was always being gone all the time. I work for the federal government. So anybody you know who's worked for the federal government, you don't make a lot of money. Unless you're in Congress, I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> just a blue-collar worker out fighting fires. I was out there just struggling with this. My wife's down at uh, the uh, surf camp down in San Clemente, and I'm away from them, not able to jo- enjoy that. you know. And I'm so struggling being away from her and the kids. Just, this is like the worst for me. And God knew it. He had a special assignment for me that, that, that time. But anyways, I'm in this hotel and I'm crying out on my knees praying. And I'm like, Lord, help me kill, kill this homesickness. And bam, this like out of nowhere, it's like a baseball came and hit me. And it said, Psalm 24, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I went to that and he spoke that very clearly to me. And then later as I was reading that, he says, Mike, you will no longer be homesick for your family. You'll be homesick for me now. And that gave me total different purpose in life. But it showed me one thing about that. It leads me to the uh, title of this message, Compassion. Compassion. It showed me the compassion that the Lord has on us as children of God. He sees that we're in need, right? And He so badly wants to help us. That's what compassion means by the definition sense. It means that you have such a strong feeling towards the helpless or the hopeless and you want to help them. And that's what He had towards me. To experience a gentle yet powerful influence, to experience a yet gentle yet powerful influence, which alleviates the most devastating experience in your life and frees you from the captivity of pain and suffering of the physical or spiritual, and you find peace and freedom, and you find peace and freedom, you have just experienced compassion. Compassion. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Please pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Please lead us and guide us. Help me to teach this. Lord, you teach it. Speak through me. Speak through this passage. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict us, conform us, lead us, transform us. That every bit of this passage, Lord, would speak volumes to our heart and would take us places we've never been. I pray that you would just move and you'd speak. That you'd quiet our hearts. You'd quiet our minds. You'd open up our souls to hear you, to see Jesus this morning, because that's what it's all about, is, is Jesus is your son. So I pray you'd please just allow this to happen, Lord. Please have mercy on us. Please have mercy on us. Amen. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're only going to go through verses 1 through 20. Verses 1 through 20. And I'll just set this up before we get in there. Now, if you read prior to verses 1 through 20 in chapter 5, we know that Jesus just took the boys across the Sea of Galilee. 
And you notice the boys never asked him, why are we going to the southeast of the Sea of Galilee? Just get in the boat, boys, and we're going. So they got in the boat. And what happened? The strong waves and the storms of the sea crashed up against the boat and overwhelmed them and they were inside the boat. And where was Jesus? He was sleeping on the bow of the boat. He was sleeping. And they panicked. And they freaked out and woke him up. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care what's going on right now? Don't you care? Can't you see we're suffering? Can't you see we're going to die? And what's he do? He gets up and he says to them, he says, man, where are your guys' faith? I have been with you. He didn't say that, but I mean, just the whole, the whole picture of all this is what he's saying because he says, where's your faith? But he's alluding to, man, I was just with you like four chapters ago. Where were you guys? Did you see all that? You see, those guys struggled too. We all struggle with that doubt, with that, with that unable to, to, to realize the authority of who he is. Because later on he goes, he calms the sea and he says, peace, be still, right? And then the sea just stops. I mean, it just stops happening. This is the beautiful picture of Jesus' authority. Because later on in the next verse they go on, who is this man that can calm the seas? Because they're freaking out. They, they're realizing in their heart Jesus has authority over nature. Such a powerful, such a powerful testimony, such a powerful truth for the believer, the, Jesus, or the child of God in our lives, isn't it? That he has authority and power over nature. And not only that, he's going to show him something else. That's why he sends him over across the sea, over to the southeast section of the Sea of Galilee. No one goes over there because it's supposed to be inhabited by a bunch of Gentiles, pig farmers. So no one really goes over there. So he goes over to the southeast corner of, of, of that section area. And back in the Old Testament, who inhabited that area was, was uh, the tribe of Manasseh. They split it up and they put the east Manasseh over there and the west Manasseh on the other side of the Jordan. And just below west, east Manasseh was, was the tribe of Gad. So you had, you, had, you had God's folks right there in that land. And then when they got kicked out or were taken out because of their sin and because of their uh, unfaithfulness to the Lord... It started to be inhabited by the Gentiles, by the Romans. So they never asked him why they were going across the sea in the first place. They just ended up going. But Jesus was teaching them something more, something more, or the essence, in other words, the essence behind the authority that he is. And I think it's very, very important that we understand he's not just authority, but he's something else. There's something behind that authority that impacts our lives and our minds and that it just explodes into something that's real. It's not just authority. Because when we look at leadership in its entirety, we always look at a leader as having some kind of authority over us, right? We don't want that. We don't want any of that. We don't have nothing to do with that kind of authority. We don't want people over us. I mean, you get that when you're young and a teenager, you don't want any authority over you. But there has to be something that's inside of that authority that causes your spirit to worship or causes your spirit to obey or causes your spirit to submit to a greater authority than your own or a greater authority than your own ideas and who you say and you think you are, right? Verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea. What sea? The Sea of Galilee. So like I said, they're up on the north section. They're up on the north section. And then now they're coming down to the southeast section. To the country of the Gadarenes. The Gadarenes. Now there's a couple names in scripture for this. The Gadara. 
uh, Garakasinas, if I'm not saying it right, I'm sorry. Uh, but the, this region was known because of the many names of the cities in there. So they basically named it just that. I mean, it's kind of like naming the entire San Bernardino County, just calling it San Bernardino County, and it encompasses all the, the cities in there. So that's kind of the thought behind this. So don't think that, oh, there's a mistranslation over here in Luke, or there's a mistranslation over here in, in Matthew. No, those are their perspectives. Those are their testimonies of that area and what they called that area. We call certain areas different names all the time. It's like really San Bernardino and Highland should just be San Bernardino, right? But you can distinct the two between Highland. Verse 2, And he went, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So here you got this guy just coming out immediately. So in other words, he before he even got out of the boat, or just as he was getting out on the boat, the scripture says, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately... In other words, Mark uses this word immediately a lot. If you read this, this, this passage or this uh, gospel, he uses it a lot in reference to Jesus because he's a man of action. There's a lot of immediate going on. There's a lot of quickness going on. But Mark's telling the story of this guy with an unclean spirit rushing over to Jesus. Rushing over to Jesus. We don't know the full perspective or the whole intention of that because of an unclean spirit. If we go down in the rest of the chapter, we know that this man in chapter 16 was demon-possessed. He was demon-possessed. That's my first element that builds this chapter. It's called possession. Possession. Just possession alone without putting demon in front of it, it means this, under the power of another. Under the power of another. Think of that. Okay, under the power of another. That's what possession means in its literal sense. Also in the Greek, it also means the same thing as just Greek. Don't get hung up on those words. But under the power of another. Now put demon in there. Now you're under the power and influence of a demon. Understand that? There's some impact going on in there. There's some power going on in there. There's some influence going on over there. There's some authority happening, whether you like it or not. But there's three perspectives that this possession does to this, to this poor fella. Just nails this guy. And when you look at possession in its entirety, in the definition I just gave you, possession also does these three things. It controlled him, captivated, and it destroyed him. Controlled him, captivated him, and was all about destruction. That's what possession does. No matter what it is, if you don't put demon in there, and let's just say you put possession, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and then put all the stuff you want to put in there, and some way or another, it's possessing your mind. It's possessing your soul. And it keeps you from that pure perspective or that pure center of worship on Jesus Christ. That's what possession does. Controls captivates and destroys. Now we look in the in the New Testament and you see all the examples of uh, demon possession and they come out in... in uh, excuse me, I'm going way too fast. They come out in various forms. Various forms in disease, epilepsy, character, 
They're in and out. There might not be a full inhabitant. Remember Judas? He didn't have a full inhabitant of, of Satan. But when, when he was at that last supper, and, and what happened? The, the, the scriptures in John says that Satan entered him. Whoa. So there had to have been some kind of invitation in there. Judas had to give way to that kind of flesh. Had to give way to that kind of resistance. So we know though, we know this is very important too. We know though that from scripture that Christians weren't demon possessed. We know from the book of Acts there was no record of anything or any in the epistles or anything in uh, 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 the gospels of a, of a believer being demon possessed. We know that. For one thing you can hang your hat on or hang your soul on or hang your heart on is in John, when, when Jesus talks about to the boys, he says, he who believes in me and loves me and keeps my commandments, the father and I will come into him and make our home in him. In other words, we're going to dwell in that believer's soul because he has received me and because he loves me and because he wants to obey me and because he's been impacted by my compassion. Does that make sense? So there's no way, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, that the enemy is going to come in and start tormenting your soul and, and treat you like this guy. There's no way. However, we know that there's a spiritual battle going on. And they want to destroy our mind. That's where he wants to get you, is your mind. Verse 2. <clears throat> And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him and out of the tombs, a man, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, verse three, who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. In Luke's gospel, it says that he had no clothes. He had no clothes. So this guy was dirty, beat up, scarred, just nothing. Just beat up from Satan from his enemy, from the dominion. Imagine that. I don't know if any of you have ever seen any of that. Real life, right in front of you. And here he has the boys with him. And he's there. And the surrounding people are watching this whole thing going on. Now I kind of scratch my head and go, huh, is this kind of why you brought him over there? Were you showing them something else besides just your authority? Look at verse 4. Because he had often bound with shackles. He was often been bound with shackles and chains. Luke's gospel says they tried to bind him up. They tried to get hold of this guy and control him. For what reason? I don't know. I don't know if it was to help him. Maybe it was to, to charge admission so they'd see a crazy man. Who knows? We don't get that full concept. But we know these guys didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus when we find out later. They had nothing they want to do with him. Verse 4, Because he had been bound with shackles and chains, and chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. No one could stop this guy. Nothing. This God was beyond reach. No one could handle this guy. Do you see the power? Do you see the deceptive nature? Do you see the destruction of this, the enemy? of what he wants to do in a human life. Do you see that? It's so powerful. I don't know if any of you guys know who Bob Bennett is. Beautiful folk singer. I love this guy. Every time, he just gets me every time I listen to his music. I encourage you to go home today, after you eat or whatever you're going to do, 
just go home, please. Get, Google them on YouTube and Google uh, Bob Bennett, Man of the Tombs. And just put your headphones on and worship the Lord and listen. Just worship the Lord and listen. And I, I promise you will be blessed. I promise. He will show you Jesus. But I'm going to give you some verses out of this song. He so personalizes this text right here. So personalizes this text. And everything I'm trying to tell you right now, or I believe the Lord's trying to tell us, but being controlled, captive, and destructive is all filled in the first part of his song. Listen to this. Man of the tombs. He lives in a place where no one goes. And he tears out himself. He lives with a pain that no one knows. He counts himself dead among the living. He knows no mercy and no forgiving. Deep in the night, he's driven to cry out loud. Can you hear him cry out loud? Man of the tombs, possessed by an unseen enemy, he breaks every chain and mistakes his freedom, mistakes his freedom for being free. Shame and shamelessness equally there, like a random coin, a toss in the air. Man of the tombs, he's driven to cry out loud. Underneath this thing, I have become... A fading memory of flesh and blood. The curse, I curse the womb. I bless the grave. I lost my heart. I cannot be saved. Like those who fear me, I'm afraid. Like those I've hurt, I can feel pain. Naked now before my sin and these stones that cut against my skin. Some try to touch me, but no one can. For man of the tombs I am. In Luke's gospel, it says that he cuts himself with the stones. I don't know why he does that. Maybe because he cannot bear the pain anymore. He'd rather be dead and the enemy won't let him die. I know in my own life, I felt something like that before I came to the Lord with dope. That's you just wanted to die. There was nothing you could do. There was nothing you could feel. Nothing you can set you free from this until you feel or until you encounter the, the, the encounterness or the compassion of Lord Jesus. verse 5 and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones it also says that here by the way verse 6 and when he was when he saw jesus from afar he ran and worshiped him this word worship in the greek is called proskeneo proskeneo and what it literally means i love it compared well in the hebrew to, to worship means to bow down and lay prostrated on the ground like this. Okay? If you, a good example of that is when David sinned, right? And, and he knew Bathsheba was going to lose the baby. He knew it. And where did he go? Bam! On his face, prostrated like this. Have mercy on me, Father. Okay? So the Greek word proskuneo goes even a, 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 a depth farther. It's a little more intimate, but I like that intimacy, but it's good. It means to bow down, to kiss the hand towards one in token of reverence. To kiss the hand in token of one in reverence. Here's how it likens a dog licking his master's hand, identifying that he is the leader or the alpha dog. So in other words, these demons identified that he had authority over them. Now, that right there, listen, that right there should cause hope, stir your heart to know that you are secure and give you some kind of confidence in this life, no matter what you're going through, that he has authority over demons. And these boys knew it. 
They came and were down on their feet. They were licking his hand like he was the leader. However, the only difference in this is they did not bow down to him and, and submit to him as God. That's the only difference. So that again should bring us more comfort and more satisfaction and more confidence that we have a Lord, we have a Savior that is over all enemy, all spiritual darkness in this world. That should give you hope. Right there, that verse, you can just walk away and leave everything I I talk about and walk away with that verse and go home and praise the Lord. You can do that with that one. The enemy knew who he was. Do we know who he is? That's the key there. But I believe something else was going on in this because I I don't know. I mean, if you compare scripture with scripture with this one, we can see that the enemies did do this kind of stuff. However, when you read Job, it doesn't really say that Satan bowed down when he came to the throne room. He appeared and showed himself in front of G, or in front of God the Father. But I think something else was going on in here. I think there was a bit of this man trying to come out. A bit of this man knew who that man was that was coming out of that boat. He knew it. He had to have. I don't know. I'll know when I get to heaven. I'm not being prideful. But I, 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 there's got to be something in there a little bit. Please, Lord. He recognized that. So maybe he was bowing down and licking like a dog, licking his master's hand and identifying the alpha dog. Maybe he was doing that. Maybe there was a little bit captivated in that man who was possessed, whatever, whatever he was possessed by. We know that he was possessed by this demon, but you can be possessed by anything. And there's that little bit of ray of light inside of that heart that is going to break as soon as you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that's a capability and in, 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 in the uh, probability of every man, every man, woman. We all have a choice. Verse 6, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Verse 7, And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What do I have to do with you? What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. If you ever go to Dr. Bramson's studies, he'll make this real evil voice and it sounds very animated. I can't do that one. (laughs) I can't do that one. But here's these guys imploring with him. In other words, begging him, please don't torment me. They know their end state. They're trying to continue to go anyways and to conquer as much as they conquer. Control, captivate, and destroy. Control, captivate, and destroy. They're trying to do that. But they don't want them. They say, hey, don't torment us. I mean, let us go free still. We still want to inhabit somebody. That's our whole mission in life, is to inhabit and torment people. Isn't that just despicable? Isn't that just ugly? Now you really understand the whole freedom side of it all. Verse 8, For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And also he begged him earnestly, 
that he would not send them out of the country. So legion. So according to the Roman definition of a legion, it was over 6,000 soldiers, foot soldiers and uh, horsemen. Now, if it is true that there was 6,000 demons in this man, can you imagine that? That is hardcore. No one knows what it, like, what it feels like to be inhabited that way. This guy was beyond reach. But you notice how these demons are throwing out some of their little power. Hey, my name is Legion. How are you going to handle this? There's lots of us in here. Verse 11. Now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000. So maybe there were just 2,000 of them. I don't know. I'm not going to get all dogmatic. Oh, there's only 6,000. But you know, whatever it was, they wanted to go into the swine. And Jesus sent them over there. These guys want to inhabit everything they can. That's what the demon does. That's what Satan does. He wants to inhabit And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. This, look at that. And the herd ran violently, violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. I think there was two before, actually before you, uh, criticize Jesus for being an animal, animal cruelty, you need to think of a couple things. A soul, a human soul over an animal. A human soul over an animal. For one thing, the Jews thought of, of, of pork or pigs or swine. They, they symbolized them with greed, with greed, with greed and filthiness. That's the way they saw them. Greed and filth. They also symbolized them as a person who had an unredeemable nature. Okay? You get that? That, that's how they saw them. For one, in the Old Testament, God told them they were unclean because they didn't chew the cud. So I don't know if we're going to have bacon in heaven. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know if you like pork, it's great, whatever. But I, I think he's showing us something much deeper than that. Okay, even more deeper than being unclean. Look at this word here. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. He was showing them how destructive or the destructive nature of the enemy, what he wants to do. He was giving these folks a picture of how bad it really is. I think that's why we have the cross. I don't know why we have the cross, but I think that's why we have the cross because we need to know how bad sin is and how it does destroy and how it does control and how it does captivate. But here Jesus is showing a plain picture right in front of them, these pigs going down. I don't know. I mean, violently. I mean, it must have just been horrible scene. Go down into the sea and then they're just all drowned. You see all these bubbles going up. And they're just blown away at that point. What had just happened? We know from John that this is the enemy's whole bent on life. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. And he wants to destroy. A childhood friend of mine, 
I, I just found out about this two months ago and it, it destroyed my heart. I grew up with this guy, Mike, Mike Green's his name. I, I grew up with this guy when I was a little kid. I grew up in VOE, so don't judge me. I grew up in VOE, Valley of Enchantment. And this boy lived across the street from me down, actually a couple mobile homes down from, from me. And uh, we used to trade baseball cards. We came up with a, a, a cool baseball card game. It was called Baseball with the Baseball Cards. We used to go out and play stickball. I mean, just me, him, and another kid, just three of us. I mean, it was like Sandlot. You guys ever seen that movie, Sandlot? That's how it was with, with me and him. We did everything together. We played ball together. We played, we did baseball cards together. When, you know, when I got into smoking pot when I was young, he was like, Mike, don't do that. You're not going to be able to pitch anymore. I didn't listen to him. But this guy, man, this guy, we, me and him grew up together. He was like, me and him were like best buds. I mean, he was older than me, but it was like, I don't know. It was his childhood friend, man. And we stayed together the whole time until I got saved and he went somewhere. I, I got off heroin by God's grace. He didn't. Heroin and cocaine took him out in the street. He was married. He had two kids. And I remember when I was saved and I used to work at the Sky Forest Ranger Station. And he lived up above us at that station up in uh, Arrowhead Villas. And his boy, his boy Crispin used to come down to the bus stop every morning. And I'd go out there and I knew Crispin because I'd be, I'd go out there. I mean, I was like, I was like his uncle. I was like there all the time when I was a little kid, man. I was there after they were born. I, was, I knew that kid. So I was there all the time. And I went out there and I gave him a Gideon's Bible. I told Crispin, you know Jesus? He says, yeah, Mike, I do. Is all my, my, my aunt has been taking me to church down the hill. I'm like, oh, praise God. And so I started praying for Crispin. I had no idea what was going to happen 10 years later. But I started praying for Crispin. And just start committing to him. And every time he'd come into my mind, I'd pray for him and his dad. Well, anyways, they got divorced because Mike's drug habit got so bad, he ended up on the street. He was living in the back of his truck. He comes up here like three, four years ago and he wants me to be a reference to him to rent a house. And I go, Mike, I don't know you anymore, man. You're still on the street. I know what heroin does to you because I was there. You do things, you're possessed when you're on it. You start stealing stuff. You start treating people bad. You don't care who it is as long as you're getting your fix. That's what heroin does to you. It controls you. It possesses you. You're under the power of another. That's what happened to him. He was in the streets. Well, two months ago, I... I, I, I started, I was talking to a long lost buddy again. He calls me up out of nowhere. He's a fireman in Arizona. And we start talking. He's like, you know, Mike's dead. I said, what? I go, what do you mean Mike's dead? He's like, yeah, man, he died. I go, how? He's like, I don't know. I go, where'd he die? He's like, he died in the high desert. That destroyed me right there. I couldn't talk to him anymore. I said, I got to go. I got to go. One of the reasons why is, man, I don't know if he was saved. I have no idea if he was saved. God knows, but I don't. So I searched everywhere on the, on the, uh, on the internet. And I was looking for, for some kind of heading with his name in there about some accident. And I found it. It was in Victorville. He died. He, he was crossing the street. I'm going to Walmart at night and the car didn't see him. Slammed into him, threw him a hundred feet and died on impact. Crispin, his boy, had to go identify the body. And I read the article. Yeah, that's my dad. The enemy comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. Now, Mike, when I was younger, brought me to my first Bible study. Brought me to my first Bible study. I rejected that. He was in it. 
I rejected that. He was in it. And on all that, I started weeping when I saw that, that, that article there. And, and God spoke directly. Mike, I saved you. By grace, you have been saved. I saved you. I did not hear anything about him, but he said, I saved you. It tore me up. But this is how powerful this stuff is, man. This is how powerful the deception of the enemy, the destruction of the enemy, and what he wants to do and possess you and destroy you. So I think Jesus was teaching the boys something different, something more than just authority. Verse 13, and at once Jesus gave them permission and then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. And those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that had happened. So here they go. Those people who owned it went out and went out to the surrounding cities. You got to remember that area is called Decapolis. So there's 10 cities all around that area. So they're going out telling people all about what just happened. Hey, we lost our swine. The demon-possessed guy has been healed. Hey, the, the, the pigs went down and ran violently into the sea. And there's this crazy guy on the sea right now or on the shores of the sea. Come see. Come look. So verse 15, and then they came to see Jesus. They came to see Jesus. They came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. This is the second element, freedom. He was trying to teach these boys freedom, not in his authority, but in the compassion. Freedom. Now they found this guy in his right mind. He was transformed. This word in his right mind meant it's a verb to be showing peace. To be showing peace about him. There is a calmness about him. Big contrast from demon possessed guy to now guy with the right mind. Big contrast. Now they're looking at him and this guy is displaying peace, tranquility and contentment because he just had been released out of captivity by the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all universe. That authority just released him. More more importantly, that compassion just released him. There's a verse in uh, Isaiah 26. And before Isaiah gets here, he's talking about that day when salvation comes after the great tribulation and when all of all that stuff that has been renewed and all the people come and reign with him on the thousand year reign. But this is what he says in in chapter 26. He says this, in that day, the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for the walls and bulwarks. In other words, protect our walls, open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth may enter in. In other words, the righteous nation that is faithful. In verse 3, here's the kicker. Here's the impact now. Here's the, here's the whole impact of the salvation once it meets the, the believer's mind and soul. Listen, and you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in the Lord. He trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, or Yahweh, the Lord is everlasting strength. That word perfect peace in the Hebrew, it's shalom, shalom, meaning peace upon peace. 
Meaning it's so perfect, no matter what you go through, you'll still be content, you'll still have control, and you'll still have tranquility. Whoa, that's what it means? That's exactly what it means. Why? Because it's the realization of the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. It's the realization of God of the universe over you. No matter what we go through, self-inflicted or not, you can still have shalom, shalom. That, that, that is a beautiful passage. Yes, it's for the Jew, but it's also for the nation. It's also for the nation who is faithful. Shalom, shalom. So when someone, when a Jew tells you shalom, understand that. Shalom. He's actually saying, may God's peace be upon you. It's peace between me and you. But to have shalom, shalom is perfect. There's no room for error. It's complete. Complete. Clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Look at this. They were afraid. In other words, they were seized with terror. They didn't know what to think. This kind of fear was a fear of terrify. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Why? Because he was invading their lifestyle. He was invading their way of life. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. They were seized with fear. Who is this guy? We need to get him out of here now. Look at the next verse. And those who saw it told how it happened to him and who had been demons possessed and about the swine. Notice how those two go together. The demon possessed guy and the swine. They're more concerned about the the swine. Verse 17, And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. In other words, they were, they were, I like the King James. They always put the, the Elizabethan language. It says, they prayed. Let's get out of here. Please leave this region. Don't stay here. That's what they were saying to him. I remember uh, when I used to travel a lot with the Forest Service, I went to a fire. It's called the North Pass Fire up in Mendocino County. And there is a town. I don't know if some of you know what Willits is at. There's a town just north of Willits, northeast, about... Uh, 30 miles out of Willits. It's a little farming town, an old farming cowboy town um, called uh, uh, Covalo. Beautiful place. I, when you come down, you come out the, the, the plains like this and then you shoot down in the valley and it's all plush down there, man. There's just all kinds of creeks running through and you can see these people had, uh, um, they had very, very good livestock there. There's cows and there's some kind of production going on there. Well, I come to find out, as you, you know, you talk to people in the town, it's not as thriving as it used to be. It's not as thriving as it used to be. I guess what I heard when I got to talk with some folks there, what happened was during the 60s, the 60s, and you had the hippie movement and, the, and, and this free love movement. Well, when they couldn't make it there and they wanted to uh, really inhabit the, the whole lifestyle of free living, they, went, they moved to these northern regions of, 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 of Willits, Mendocino County, and Covalo. They went into Covalo. In Covalo area, there's an Indian reservation right next to it, too, in the town of Covalo. So they go into this region. So now you have that kind of a culture, that Bohemian-style culture in this area. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticizing these people, but what I am bringing to the point is, is the spiritual darkness that was upon this place that I came to find. 
within two weeks because usually that's when a management, that's how long a management team stays there to, 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 to manage a fire. And when we're there within two weeks, the first three days I was there, there was a, a lady who ran through our fire camp naked and had just been raped, screaming, help me. Two days later, there were two murders, drug deals. And then I go in a helicopter, right? Because as a division supervisor, I got to go look at the area that's been given me to manage and and, and, uh, suppress. So I go out in the wilderness. So in my helicopter ride, my helicopter pilot's been there for a month already. He knows that whole area. And he's like, hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. So as I go down and look at these areas of these homes, because we're flying right over them, you see big mounds or big plantations of marijuana. So all these people are growing marijuana in this town. And I knew... I mean, when I was back in, the, in, in, in smoking marijuana, I was like, oh yeah, you know, make it legal. It'll be fine. Nothing ever happens. But it does, man. It, it, there's a spiritual darkness that goes with that. And with that place, with that place, I saw it. It was so bad. I went around to go look for, uh, for a church in that place. I found two churches in that town. They were closed. No one was there. No one was there. I know there's got to be somebody in there praying. I know there is. In the forest service, there are people who pray. I've met them all over the place. It's such a beautiful thing when you know Jesus and Jesus brings you places and you meet people who know Jesus. I know there's one there. There's got to be. But what I saw there was totally darkness. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus there. The churches were closed. So when I read this passage... And I read that, they're saying, pleading with him, get out of here. That's what immediately goes to that day when I saw that. God was showing me that that's what happens when we push Jesus out of society. We don't want to have anything to do with him. Nothing. It's all about us. It's all about our ways and our prosperity. Instead of aligning our heart, like I said, like in that song Luke just said, if my heart is where where the home is, then I'm out of line with you, Lord. That's what happened to these folks. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Imagine that. I mean, they just saw this guy be healed. This is a miraculous healing. A miraculous healing. No one could do this. It says no one can bind this guy. No one can bind him. He was breaking all the chains. There was nothing anybody can do. Verse 18. And when he got into the boat, when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him, Look at this. This is part of the freedom we have. Begged him that he might be with him. That word begged is in the imperfect tense, meaning he was on his knees going, please take me with you. Please take me with you. He begged him. It wasn't like, hey, Jesus, can I come with you? No, it was he wanted to go. Why? He had just been impacted by Jesus. He just saw the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. The authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe just by this passage, you guys, just by this passage, freedom is defined in this sense. Being able to understand and worship the Savior Jesus. That's freedom. Being able to understand and worship the Savior Jesus. You see that? He was in his right mind. He was clothed and in his right mind. And his right mind went where? Right to Jesus. It didn't go anywhere else. 
Do you see how beautiful that encounter, that relationship is that we have with the the child of God, with, with God the Father? That is so remarkable. How he totally aligns now our will with him. Oh my gosh. That is beautiful. To realize that kind of impact that Jesus has on his children. That Jesus can do in a sinner's life. That Jesus can do even in a saved person's life going through trial or tribulation. Imagine that. Imagine that when you're going through whatever it is, whatever it might be, sickness, health, whatever, death, cancer, whatever, you can still have a sound mind. You can still have perfect peace. You can still have shalom, shalom. You can still have this no matter what you go through. But you got to get there. You got to run to him. You got to get on your knees and beg him to stay with you. He gives you such a beautiful picture of that, doesn't he? There's no way to leave that. There's no way to, 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 to cast excuses off to the side. And I do it all the time. I tell you what, I'm one. I do it all the time. And then I come to that point and I realize, Lord, you were faithful and I wasn't. I'm sorry. You were always faithful. You always told me you were going to keep me through. You were going to get me through that. You never let me go when I got, when I was saved. Even then when the wife had divorce papers, you never let me go. You never let me go. He allowed me to be with her more years and, and celebrate 16 years because of that. So, so you see, he can do whatever and establish peace. Shalom, shalom. One of the beautiful stories of the Old Testament is Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Old Nebi. You remember that chapter? It's in the book of Daniel chapter 4. You don't have to go there if you don't want to. But it's such a beautiful testimony of Nebuchadnezzar and his his uh, relationship with God the Father, Yahweh. Okay? And, and when you read the beginning of chapter 4, he writes this, this, this letter to his nation declaring the greatness and the awesomeness of the Lord, the God of the Jews. Listen to that. Read that first chapter. He writes that to his people. What a beautiful display of leadership, isn't that? To show the testimonies of the Lord. That is awesome. But as he writes that, he writes about this vision he had in his dream and he was blowing his mind because he couldn't understand it. If you ever want to have blown your mind dreams, read Daniel chapter 4. Read Daniel because it's all about crazy dreams. And then Daniel, he, he knew Daniel was the only one that can interpret it. And he said, because he has the spirit of God in him and I know he can interpret it. So I took my dreams over to Daniel and Daniel gave me that revelation. And the revelation was this. The kingdom was going to be taken out of his hands for a time. And he was going to be driven into the wilderness or into the field and be and eat with the oxen and be like oxen and eat with them and be despised. So he was going to be like a beast living in the field. And Daniel warned him, said, hey man, if you don't get it right, this is what's going to happen. This is the dream God's giving you. If you don't get it right, this is what's going to happen. So what's, and then he writes in his testimony there in his letter and he's writing in there and he says, yeah, I'm in my courthouse and I'm looking around and I'm saying, oh, how great Babylon is. This is all my kingdom. And then what happens? 
zapped. He got zapped immediately right there because that word, that prophecy that was spoken was zapped right into him and immediately he was driven out and to be with the oxen and eat grass. And once the, the scripture says this, look at this. His body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. He was something of mutation. But he said it was going to be for a time. We don't know if it was seven years, seven months, seven days or whatever. But as soon as that time ended, look at what he says in verse 34. Listen, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. In other words, I realized where all this was coming from. I realized the source of all being. I realized the source of my purpose. I realized the source of my kingdom. So he looks towards heaven and my understanding returned to me, just like the man of the tombs. My understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. In other words, he's claiming God the Father as Lord. I realize now, I realize all of this now, the truth. Look at verse, the rest of this. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Now he just wrote this to his people. He just wrote this to them. What a magnificent testimony. A magnificent testimony of the power and authority and the compassion of God. He could have destroyed him. He could have just wiped him out. Said, Nebi, you're out. But he gave him a chance. He had compassion on him. Remember, I just told you about that whole word in the, de- de- the, the human sense of the definition. The, the word means to have a fervent desire or a desire to help someone in need. And you can also go on and, and add God's definition despite the circumstances. Back over to Mark. Verse 19, it's the last, the last uh, element, the last element, compassion, compassion. Verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends, man, go home to your friends. You can't come with me. But go home to your friends. You kind of look at this and go, God, Jesus, you're being mean. Why didn't you just let him go with you? Then he could hang out with you and the fellas and watch the rest of this thing just play out and, and you know, and watch all this remarkable stuff you're going to do. No, his impact was so powerful. You, you got to understand this. His impact was so powerful. His compassion was so powerful that he didn't need to go with Jesus. Jesus was in him. The impact was in him. It did not leave him. It was in him ready to explode. And look what he says. Go tell your friends. Because now truth has just come alive in you. You don't need to be with me physically. I'm in you. My power's in you. My testimonies are in you. Every bit of my word's in you. That's what's so beautiful about where we're at today with the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, leading us, teaching us, showing us God's will, aligning us with God's will. And when we're out of hand, convicting us and bringing us back to where we need to be. 
It's that beautiful relationship. But Jesus is, even before the Holy Spirit, his power was so powerful that it instilled in this man that it was never going to leave him. And if you go on in church history and look out later, that they erected a church in this area. They erected a church in this area because of this man. There's ruins in the Gadarea area. Do you see the testimony? The testimony of Jesus Christ is so powerful. You don't need to be with him physically because he's in you spiritually because his life has impacted you so much. His life is in you and will take you anywhere and you can still be impactful in people. You can still have shalom, shalom going through the storm. You can still have shalom, shalom owing lots of money. You can still have shalom, shalom going through a divorce. You can still have shalom, shalom going through cancer. Because the impact of Jesus Christ, his life is in you. That's what Jesus was telling this poor fella. But he wanted to be with Jesus. That's where my heart, when I was talking to you guys about Colorado, that's where God changed my whole perspective. Because I wanted to be with my wife and my kids. I still do. I still do. I do. I struggle with that. But he turned my perspective around to be homesick for him. Because now he's in me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want Such a simple verse. Such a simple verse that means meaningful thoughts and just takes you all over the place. Look at what he says. Go home to your friends and tell them, tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. What great things the Lord has done for you. That word has done is the Greek word poel. 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 It's the root word where we get that other word, poema, from chapter 2 of Ephesians, where it says that we are the workmanship of Jesus Christ. In other words, that word means in the English, we're a poem. So in other words, he's saying, go tell all your friends and your family this great poem that God has written in your heart. This revelation now that you've had. We're all poemas. He's taken us out of the miry clay and he's made this beautiful creation. He always wants to renew. He always wants to. He's still creating. He's still creating stuff in you. But he says, go tell them the poema. Go tell them all about that. Because the author is much greater than someone who just writes a poem on a piece of paper. He's writing a poem in your heart. So go express that now to your friends and family. Friends and family, check this out. Just go a little deeper now. The friends and family, I haven't seen this poor fellow in a long time. He was beyond help. He was beyond uh, any reach. He was just out there. He was lost, hopeless, unforgiven, destroyed. His family wrote him off. You don't even see the dad out there going, please get my son back. So for him to go to his family now and friends, and to impact them that way, man, they erected a church. Right there at the rest of 19, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has come, excuse me. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. That word right there combined together in the Greek means to how you have just experienced, how you have just experienced compassion. 
Remember at the beginning of my opening statement, I talked about, I talked about something so gentle, but so powerful that alleviates this oppression, whether physical, spiritual, or mental, upon you, and that you're just radically touched, that's compassion. I believe that the reason why Jesus brought him over here was to show the fellas compassion. Yes, authority, but it's also like this. Compassion with authority. We always look at the leader having authority, but now we're looking at Jesus. Compassion with authority. And that's what he was teaching these folks. And these folks in this poor region of Gadarenes didn't even have compassion for this poor man. They were so worried about their swine. They were so worried about their culture. They were so worried about productivity. They were so worried about economics. Does that ring a bell? The United States of America. Do you understand what I'm saying? Compassion. But the root of compassion comes from one source. And he's showing that the authority over our lives. Jesus Christ. He has authority over the winds and the sea. He has authority over nation, but he also has authority over demons, but he also has authority over your sickness, over your possession. But with all of that, it's also compassion. That strong desire in his gut, wanting to help you despite your circumstances. That boy probably influenced that. We don't know. I just told you earlier that all we have from the scriptures that we know are unbelievers being possessed. So whether that was an invitation or not, we have no idea. But Jesus saw that, and despite what this guy was inflicted with, whether it was self-inflicted or not, Jesus still had compassion on him and saved him. There was no criteria. Oh, you're, you're out here. I can't do that. You did that to yourself. You wallow in your mire. There was none of that. There was great compassion. He had just experienced compassion. Compassion compels you to share it and proclaim the source. Look at this, verse 20. And then he departed. He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Remember, I told you church history says that they built a church because of this. Powerful. That compassion compels you to share it. That compassion compels you to give it. That compassion compels you to give people Jesus even though they, they, they brought their misery on themselves. Why? Because Jesus knows our sinful nature. Jesus knows the capacity of the human mind. Jesus knows the capacity of the heart. And Jesus also knows the perspective or the bent of the enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy But the compassion with authority destroys that, doesn't it? We saw that. There's a story. It's the last story and I'll close. It's a story of a father's compassion for a son. A story of a father's compassion for a son despite the circumstances. Did you hear that? I've I've been kind of trying to drive that home. Despite the circumstances. It's about my grandfather Manuel and my uncle Alex. My grandfather Manuel... He was a Baptist. Don't judge him. He was a good man. He was. He was a great man. He, 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 when I was a young kid, uh, we used to go to his house in the summertime, me and my sister. And I remember waking up in the morning. He would wake up before the sun was up. He was always up. And he, I didn't understand this back then because I was a young kid. 
But I, I didn't understand what he was doing. Every morning he was up in the Bible. I'd see the Bible open on, on, on the table and he'd have it open to Proverbs because I'd just look over to it and it was in Spanish. But I, you know, I was like, huh, what is he doing? But he was always reading. That was what he did in the morning. And then he would cook his family breakfast. That's what he did. That's what a compassionate man he was. He was always, he was always doing the work of the Lord. He had Bibles in his, because he, he was a Gideon guy. So he had all those little Gideon Bibles and he had it always in his motorhome. He was a longshoreman, so he'd always go down to the docks and he was always talking to people about Jesus, handing out Gideon Bibles. But it was real. It wasn't just, hey, you know the Lord, take this. No, it was like sit down and talk. Eat. My grandpa was very, very, very influential in bringing people in to eat with him. So that's how it was. He was very, very beautiful man. And uh, about... Eight years ago, my grandfather's a father of eight, so there's four. My mom's one included in there. So it's four, four, four daughters and, and four brothers, four sons. So he had eight, and he, he was a World War II veteran. So back then, they were making lots of babies back then. So he had this large family, and he did really well to take care of them. But, uh, you know, my, about eight years ago, something came upon our family that, 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 that brought disgrace to them. Uh, in other words, well, at least what they thought was disgrace. My Uncle Alex, he was the young of the boys and he lived a frivolous life. He had a great job. He was a longshoreman, but he had a great job, but he lived a frivolous life. A frivolous life, man. He was gone all over the place. He was doing dope, uh, had homosexual relationships, had all kinds of crazy stuff going on in his life. And we all kind of knew it, but no one said anything about it. Well, this one day he came down, he was stricken with AIDS and it devastated the entire family. No one knew how to handle it. He was stuck in the hospital. He had, the doctor said, well, we don't know how long he's going to live, but he's got it so bad. It's, it just, it's attacking him. It's possessed him. It's all over his body. And we knew something was going on prior to all this announcement because he had lost a bunch of weight. He was skinny. I saw him. And I, 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 go, I told Julius, something's wrong with Alex. I don't know if he's just doing too much or, or what the case was, but he had it. He had it. And it destroyed my family. During those three weeks or four weeks, my grandfather, my grandfather Manuel, he was there at that side, that bed. He was there at my, at my uncle's bed. Day and night. He never left that hospital and he had his Bible open and he was reading the book of John to him from verse, from chapter one to chapter 22. All the whole book. The whole book. He was there. He had compassion on his son. Despite the circumstances, he didn't shun him out just because he had AIDS or he lived a frivolous lifestyle or lived some kind of bisexual, homosexual lifestyle. He didn't, he didn't shut him out. He still had the heart of Jesus and wanted to give that to him. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. That's what Jesus was showing the boys. It doesn't matter. They have compassion like that. That compassion is so powerful and so impactful that what happened was my uncle called me. He calls me on the phone and says, Michael, I'm saved. I knew exactly what happened. Because my mom was telling me about it. My mom was just devastated, crying and just blowing it. And devastated. And he calls me, Michael, I'm saved. I know Jesus. I said, awesome. He's like, but I'm going to die. And I said, I know you are, but it's okay. You're going to the right place. So that gave me so much peace. It gave me so much understanding of his compassion despite our circumstances. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter how bad it is. He still has that compassion for you and I. It doesn't matter. 
Now, I'm not saying that this is a scapegoat for you to go do whatever the heck you want, because that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is a human life can get so destructive, so controlled, so captivated that the the power of Jesus' compassion can break right through that and just give you total peace. Here's my uncle dying of AIDS because he knew the lifestyle he lived. He knew what he did. He knew he inflicted that on himself, but he experienced Jesus' compassion and power and forgiveness and love, and he still had peace. He was going to die, but he still had peace. That's what this can do. That's what shalom, shalom, that's what compassion does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love and your grace. I pray that uh, whatever was spoken was spoken of you and what's not spoken of you, let it be destroyed and not be remembered in in your children's hearts today. But let what was spoken be so engraved in their hearts and minds that it would cause them to go out and proclaim you in the way they live, in the way they breathe, in the way they live, in the way they breathe, that the breath of you would be inside of us, that the impact of you would be inside of us, that we knowing deep down inside that you're with us and that you have freed us from any possessions in life. I thank you so much. Please bless these people and keep them and may your face shine upon them today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.